You're listening to the Rec2Tech podcast. We connect the tech thought leaders across the globe to deliver content that allows you to make better career and hiring decisions. So welcome back, everybody, to Preparing the Unprepared. This is a podcast that aims to help people in data make smarter career and hiring decisions. Today, I'm going to be joined by the impressive Imed Zitoni, who's currently the director of engineering at Google. Imid has a, an extremely impressive career that started in France with a PhD in computer science that's now led him to work for some of the world's most prestigious companies. Um, he's been both in the trenches as an individual contributor and has led some major R&D efforts in NLU and knowledge engineering globally. Um, with that in mind, I thought naturally this episode should be focused on leading elite NLP teams. And here's some of the topics that we're actually going to discuss. So first and foremost, we're going to dive deep into Imed's journey in tech. Secondly, we're going to talk about the evolution of NLP, the human and computational understanding. Thirdly, what it's like to drive and lead innovation at some of the world's leading tech companies. Then we're going to talk about what the future looks like for NLP or natural language, and then advice on the best practices for companies who are looking to explore NLP as tools for business. So welcome to the show, Emmet. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. Absolutely. So very keen, obviously, to, to kind of jump straight in and, and understand a little bit more about your journey, because first and foremost, we've been connected for probably a couple of years now um and a lot a lot changed since then uh absolutely things it changes uh i'll start maybe uh from the beginning uh thank you for the invite so i will i will share how i got into nlp and and, and then my journey in tech actually it really it goes back to uh when i was a kid kind of you know i did grow up in in tunisia north africa and 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 in school, uh, my say favorite subject was around math and solving problems. Okay. Uh, and outside of school, uh, I am similar to other kids. I am passionate about soccer, uh, watching games, and and in the same time playing games as well. And why I'm mentioning this actually, when you grow up in Tunisia and you would like to see and watch nice games and nice shows about soccer, it is natural to watch the Italian uh, TV channels. Mm -hmm. and, and why I mentioned this, because I don't know Italian. I never learned Italian in books or in school. But I found out that watching TVs and what is watching games over time, I start to understand Italian and I understand, at least I have a comprehension of that language. And that triggered into me something, which is how someone who didn't read a book about Italian, didn't learn the language, didn't learn the grammar, is able to understand the language just from data, from repeating mm -hmm. and repeating and repeating and repeating. And, and I would say that create my interest in this area, the interest in learning language, understanding language, without necessarily getting into uh, learning it from books, learning it, it's a grammar. Uh, and, and now these things become as obvious when we talk about interlanguage understanding and we talk about NLP uh, in, 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 in a sense that, yes, we train a model, you have a plenty of data, we could do speech recognition, but I am talking a couple of decades ago and where we are really in the early stage. I do remember going to France for my graduate study and, and working on language model for speech recognition. At the time, dealing with the vocabulary of 20,000 words as supposed to be a very large uh, vocabulary. It's supposed to be top-notch uh, sci-fi kind of things that we are doing. I know people laugh about that today, but we did really make great progress. I am really proud about the progress that the community made in general in this area of natural language understanding, speech recognition, uh, machine translation. Uh, now we talk about assistant. So, so that's how I get to interact with this field. That's how I became really passionate about this field. And of course, after graduation and, and, and doing small experience in the startup in France, at that time, there is an offer that comes from Bell Labs. And, and in the late 90s and early 2000, 
when you get an offer from Bell Labs, you don't refuse yeah. it, you just go. Uh, so, and that's what happens to me. I got an offer from Bell Labs, there is no way to refuse it. So I, yeah. I, I, I left Africa, I left Europe, and I come to the United States and new experience and no, no one. I still remember that Sunday coming to the airport and uh, taking a limo to go to in New Jersey, to Westchester, in, 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 in Maryhill, uh, and it is, it is a completely new world to me. It is a completely new experience to me. Everything is unknown, but the excitement of starting a new journey, the excitement of working with top-notch people that they are really expert in the area, and uh, that started my journey in the U.S. And that I spent uh, from there, you know, from working with Bell Labs, we worked on many projects. I do remember my first assignment. I'm this new uh, grad coming to the U.S., working with talented people. And I talked to my, man my manager in the first week. He was telling me, I told him, what problem do you want me to solve? And I really appreciate the kind of, uh, leadership and the kind of uh, thoughts that he put it in his answer. It was not random. He was telling me, you were not here about a specific product. You were not here about to get something and do write a program. He said, the how can you take the language and figure out the equation, the mathematical formula that could represent that language? Remember, we are in the early 2000s. There is no deep learning. I mean, there is deep <laughs> learning, but it's not the way we are talking about right now. And, and the best we can do at that time is a trigram and bigrams and, 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 and trying to do our best with this kind of language model uh, to, uh, to do speech recognition. And, and the innovation was, oh, I am doing a backup anagram language model where I go from a trigram to bigram to unigram. And you have these leader coming to me and saying, no, this is not gonna work. I need the mathematical formula that really represent the language. It is, it is, it is put it in me in a different scope. Put it in me the idea that this is a harder problem. We are working for the long run. Uh, during that journey, there is always specific products to deliver because we are part of the industry. We work for a company, so we need kind of to be productive. But in the same time, how we need to create a balance between short term and long term. And, and that is how I started my journey. After Bell Labs, and, and I spent a good time there, uh, we also had a hard time during the dot-com boom and people left, mm. uh, left and right. And it was also a good opportunity that people went to many other places from IBM to uh, Google to many other places at the time. I landed at IBM Research. I was in IBM Watson working on, again, on NLP things. Uh, mm -hmm. work on area related to machine translation, information extraction. We contributed to the early stage also of the Watson effort uh, from information extraction perspective. Uh, we pushed a few DARPA projects around how to take machine translation to the next level, how to take uh, information extraction to the next level, uh, working on multilingual aspects, not only in one language. It was all pretty good. Uh, and of course, I learned a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, and then, help that helped me grow. I I, I started being in moral leadership role, uh, technical lead, uh, leading projects, leading team. And at one point, around 2012, uh, it was an opportunity for me to try something else. Uh, maybe I start having that mindset to focus more into user journey, how to impact user, how to be driven by user-driven metrics. And that was a good time for me to try something else. I moved to Microsoft working on, again, NLP and language problem uh, ranking for Bing. Uh, it was also a great experience there. We, uh, mm -hmm. It was a nice journey around Bing where we really took Bing from around 2012. It was all working in progress, uh, not a profitable business. Uh, around 2015, that business becomes a profitable. Now it's making plenty of money, even though the market share is still small relative to Google. Yeah. Uh, but it was a kind of a great business, uh, very talented and good people that I worked with, and, and we made great progress there as well. Uh, and, and actually, two projects that are really close to my heart that I learned at Microsoft. One of them was really being obsessed and driven by metrics. 
Uh, I was leading the team around metrics uh, online and offline, uh, running right. the science team on that area for Bing. And then we started the effort around Cortana. And again, that experience around metrics and being driven by the user metrics, it helps a lot how to drive the effort around the digital assistant Cortana, where also we did launch uh, the Cortana speaker. Uh, and it was a good experience. And recently, actually, almost two years ago, Again, it was a good time for me to try something else. And then I joined Google, uh, running a few efforts around natural language understanding, focusing on how to leverage the knowledge graph, how to leverage the uh, knowledge engine for better document understanding, query understanding, uh, with impact on search and on assistant. So that's kind of my journey, <laughs> which <Okay>. is uh, so far. <laughs> well, but thanks for sharing that. And, and one thing I do want to say before we kind of dive a little bit deeper into some of the other uh, topics we're going to cover. Um, anything that uh, we discuss here is essentially Imed speaking on behalf of himself and not his employer. So, so it's basically all opinion-based um, and experience-based. I just wanted to put that out there initially. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing. I, I'm firstly looking at your career path thinking it, it's almost perfect. You know, when people think about where can I start in technology, specifically in NLP, or natural language and to where you are now my i guess my question is how did you how did you find out about the next company then the next one then the next one w was those businesses reaching out to you or was you proactively applying for jobs uh actually in most cases i didn't really reach out to that uh, so oh. uh, again we we, we talk uh, you talked about perfect in, in an experience there is always and for every person in in this planet i think there is always moments where things are great and moments where things are less great and in and and in business we'll talk more when we talk about leadership that you need endurance you need all of that uh, things like that but actually during my career uh, there is a period of time where i really i am passionate about what i am doing focusing on project usually any project has a time frame mm. let's say window of two three years you deliver on that you launch that and then, and, and then usually that's the time where there is a few options. Jumping on another project within the company, mm -hmm. still in the same area, or, or, yeah. or that's also an opportunity maybe try something else. And these are the moments usually in my career where uh, I keep open mind uh, and, and I see if there is an opportunity somewhere else where I could make an impact, where I could make progress and learn more and, and experience more things. Uh, I try it out. So, uh, and I think I didn't experience yet, and I don't think also it's a good idea for someone to work on one project for many, many, many years. Yeah. Uh, there is a project is not necessarily an area. A project is not necessarily a topic. Mm -hmm. uh, in if we take the topic of NLP, uh, the number of projects in this area is, is just endless. And I am sure everyone in his career. I mean, in, 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 he works on different projects, leveraging the same technology and lever leveraging the same uh, technical skills, uh, you know, and, and that's actually, I think, what happened usually between the projects and we are trying to figure out your new opportunities. Uh, the opportunities could come from the same company, the new opportunity could come from somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about NLP, as as a technology it kind of we, we trace this back to about the 1950s i think when um computer programming computer programmers began to experience kind of putting language input and then i think nlu kind of came after that um i think you've created some slides here that i'm going to do my best to try and share when you talk <laughs> about kind of like the evolution of natural language because language has been around forever but right. ultimately nlp and nlu is about trying to help technology understand yep. that as yep. an input, right? Okay, cool. Yep. So I'm not sure how well this is going to work, but let's, um, let's, let's see. Try it. Okay. Uh, uh, let's maybe go to the following slide. Yes. There we go. All right. So, no, th this is, this is a great slide, uh, talking about the history actually, uh, thanks to one of my friends and, and, and colleague that shared with me this slide. Actually, I, I was invited for a talk uh, this summer uh, at the Natural Language Interfaces Conference. Uh, it was in Seattle, but it was held online. Mm -hmm. and, and the idea was also to talk about the history 
on the net language interfaces and what is coming next. And, and I find it's really interesting to, to share the slides with people here where just for awareness, I mean, when we talked about AI or we talk about natural language, uh, it's before even the computer is born. Uh, and, and actually, if, if people try to think a little bit and what is, does that mean, there is, uh, there is this, I mean, and you see it in, in 1769, there is this von Kampelian speaking machine. Uh, and there is there is a video about that in YouTube. Uh, if we have time, we can share it. It's in my next slide anyway. Okay. Uh, but it shows at that point in time where people, they don't have a computer. Uh, they have only uh, maybe uh, basic tools. And, and people are trying to generate sounds and generate voices and generate language from things like that. So that's what I consider maybe the beginning of natural language interfaces and the beginning of NLU. And that goes maybe back to the 1769. Maybe it's the stretch, but it's interesting to see what people are doing. Another milestone that I see, which is around also very early, even before the computer area, which is around 1936, and, and we can talk about the Dolby Boulder, which is this synthesizer that you try to speak and, and, and the kind of uh, text synthesis uh, with the emotion, uh, with feeling, trying to interact with people. It's not necessarily computer-based, but the technology is there. Uh, yeah, and, and also it is impressive. Excuse me? And that was in 1936. And that was around 1936. Yes. Wow. And, and, and that's so early as well, right? Yeah. Now, when we start talking about computer, yes, that is the area that we started where the capability really started. So I, uh, that's why in this slide, there is a phase where I call it discovery. The area of 1769 or even in the early 20s and 36 and before the 1950s, I'm calling those discoveries because maybe the machines and the computers are not really ready. Makes and sense. then we, we entered the era of capabilities where we start having computer, we start having some computation that is done uh, really automatically. And, and here there is also many things, I, I don't know for, for those at least like me that they are in this area for many, many years, they do remember in the 70s where we talked about expert systems, where even it's adopted in many banks with a set of rules and how to apply them for specific tasks and all of that. It is a prime, it, it is a kind if then else, which is some of the, things that are applied today in AI as well. And that was in the, in the early 70s. I mean, things moved forward really uh, after that. I mean, uh, what I personally appreciate is, is the shift uh, in this area when we start talking about statistical approaches. Yeah. When, when, we, when you call statistics, that's how the data comes from. Statistics is applied of data, how you learn from data, how you apply statistics on data and try to learn from it. And that's started in the 70s. Uh, and there is many people that contributed to that. I, I really would like maybe to quote, uh, and it's known in the NLP community and, and those working on language modeling, I, uh, uh, Frederick Jiranek, who was really one of the founder and the father that worked on, on this area. He was the director at IBM at one of the point. And, and if people uh, looked up on the internet or in Wikipedia, th he has this quote saying, every time I fire linguists, Performance improves, and okay. and uh, the performance of speech recognition system improves. And what he's really trying to say is, we started the era going from applying rules and applying grammars and applying linguistics to an era where we need to learn from the data. Mm. And 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 when you start learning from the data, that's not necessarily applying rules. The rules should the machine pick up the rules. It's not the human that should put the rules. And, and that started all this approach around statistical natural language understanding, statistical automatic speech recognition. And, mm -hmm. and I think the movement started there. I mean, there is a plenty of paper that we see in the 80s and, and things start to pick up. Where I call it the era also of accuracy in, in, this, in this slide, uh, which where we start to have, uh, so uh, things like VoXML comes in, which is tools to make things easier. We start having the cloud speech where, where plenty more data is com coming available. 
and, and those started actually uh, kind of around the 90s. And then the deep learning approaches comes around late uh, 2000. Uh, I mean, really the deep learning and all of that was even earlier. There is a plenty of papers from AT&T and Bell Labs in 95 talking about CNN and talking about this. Uh, so it is, it is, but they didn't find the right attention for them. Uh, and, 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 and then I really appreciate the effort uh, by the community uh, to see like Jan Lukan and all these people and that effort comes back in 2000. Uh, uh, and, and now with more data, with the better computation power, mm. uh, we start having all this coming, uh, this technology coming. I mean, look around 2010, we see Siri, Alexa, uh, then you have Cortana, you have a Jibble, Google with many, uh, the Google Assistant, uh, uh, the Google Voice search around 2010 as well. So many of the capabilities that we see today in the natural language understanding space, kind of they are recent, not that far away. Maybe the last 10, 15 years where the accuracy really, accuracy really picked up. Uh, even yeah. though these technology are there for the last 30 years, or more, but really now we are talking about human parity. Every time I read that, oh, we beat human parity in speech recognition. Oh, we, be, we beat human parity in this and that. Those are great improvement uh, that I am really proud of the community and the field and the progress we made uh, these uh, recent years. Yeah, and, and as far as like, at least my generation is concerned, I really only thought about AI natural language pretty much from about 2011 when Siri kind of landed on the scene. Um, right. But I think based on what you're telling me there is that over the years, we've started to pick up different techniques and have different machine capabilities to, to really start to see progress. And I think my understanding of the space is that really to be successful here in NLP, we must be able to blend like a different range of of fields, language, linguistics, uh, cognitive science, data science, mm -hmm. computer science, um, and then kind of like only by combination of, of, of all those possible perspectives, I think then we'll start to really crack the, the mystery of human language. Absolutely. I mean, the, you are talking about Siri. In, in, in 2000 at Bell Labs, uh, I was working on this project, How May I Help You with, with DARPA? And that was a kind of how to use the phone, a regular phone, these old phones. Now, now it's not even regular. Yeah. These, these old phones uh, where you use the phone to, to, to book uh, a travel ticket. And, and we are iterating on these examples, uh, book a flight from Boston to Houston. And, and the system is confusing Houston and Boston because they have the <laughs> same phony pronunciation. And yeah. we're trying to, to figure out how to solve these kind of bugs where now it becomes kind of natural and, and, and people complain why it's not working. Uh, it, it's great. I mean, really the technology is moving to the right direction, uh, plenty to come. I really still believe that we really only scratch at the surface. There is there is a lot of opportunity coming ahead, uh, and this is a great. This is this is very good. I am glad to to be part of uh, this journey. <laughs> do you have Do you have a slightly different? I guess you probably do have a slightly different appreciation for natural language based on the fact that you've kind of seen it for way longer than the average person, but also have seen it progress. Because for me, you're right in saying that you know something. If something mistakes. Um, Boston for Houston, or you know, if I if I'm saying speak to a a customer service agent and it's saying something completely different, I get frustrated. And actually, realistically, we're so we're so advanced from where we was 30 years ago. Exactly, exactly. You have a, you have a point there, absolutely, and and it is good. So that that's why when people sometimes talk about the future, I see really the future great and drowsy because. Uh, if we continue making the progress at, at this level, mm -hmm. uh, much, much more opportunities are coming to us, uh, for sure. Yeah. And I think there's there's the kind of next step in natural language, which is the emotional part, right? So Absolutely. actually a system starting to understand emotion and, and delivery. And, and I think there are some chatbots or some agents out there that, that do figure out whether someone is frustrated. Uh, yep. in a call center, yep. for example. But I think yep. you've provided some examples, right, on the next slide of, of where yeah, this so, is Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Before getting there, so uh, yeah. even in this slide, so Jibu, as an example, is really one of the pioneers that tried to, it's an assistant experience. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I think it was not that successful, uh, but at least the, the, 
I really give them the credit of trying some of the emotion and, and behavior capability of the assistant. You know, when you interact with the, with the Jibo, there is this some movement and, and some interaction of the hardware that, that make you feel somehow there is some emotion involved. There is some empathy involved. Uh, even though it's not real, if it's now, even though it's really early stage, what I'm trying to say is there is a plenty of efforts on that area. There is a lot of product and research work that's happening there. Uh, I could easily see these coming to reality soon. Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's a tool that I use, Grammarly, for, for a, a large portion of, of the work that I do. And, and they've started to introduce something there that picks up the emotion in, in your response or the piece yep. of text that you're writing. And yep. it and it does make me think twice. And I'm like, delete, 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 rewrite that. And it's like, okay, cool. That's that's safe to send. But um, I'm excited about what the future's got in store. So let, let's kind of go on to the next slide then. So you, sure. you mentioned about this um, this speaking machine. I, I've right. never seen anything like it. It looks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know what what time we have, but we can use a couple of. Uh, uh, yeah. There is a link to two uh, YouTube videos. Uh, one of them, the first one is what they mentioned, the 1769, and the other mm -hmm. one is about what happened in 1939. We can maybe take a minute and show what is happening. Uh, if, if you want to keep moving, that's fine as well. This yeah, is we can share the links after. All right. Yeah, we can share the links in in the comment sections and stuff for people okay. to follow up after. Absolutely, um, absolutely. There's still a good amount of stuff for us to get through, and I'm, I want to keep digging a little bit deeper. So, um, all right. So uh, you can, if uh, so, all right. Uh, maybe all right. So, so this is also this is an interesting slide that was shared uh, by also a friend of colleague who who is the ACL president, and and he shared this slide at mm -hmm. ACL 2019 that was in Italy. Uh, and it's interesting, it shows a little bit the area and the field, how, how, how fast it is moving. Uh, and, and, and it shows how, you, you know, in, in, uh, there is waves. We see plenty of waves. Uh, I mean, today we talk about uh, BERT uh, transformer, we talk about GPT, we talked about mm -hmm. these. But actually, if you think about it, we start talking really about this around 2018, which is re re relatively soon. If you yeah. go back on this, which you go back in this graph and, and look to what is in the blue as an example, which is the word embedding, mm -hmm. it is also relatively not that, uh, it, it is relatively new. It's 2013, 2014, 15, where we get really to leverage those kind of things. So this is mostly to show that there is waves. Mm -hmm. uh, the technology is moving quickly. There is many approaches and many techniques, and I am sure that more will come soon. Uh, and, and accordingly, it is very important when someone is working on this field and this area to really keep up to date. Uh, what, and also to be aware that whatever technology we are using today, it's not necessarily the one that is going to be in, 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 our, in, in the production tomorrow or three years from, uh, from now. And that is okay, because what matters really is, is the, the outcome. It's the product. Uh, if if uh, we uh, keep making a progress and, and we, we, we solve the user problem, that is really what matters. Uh, what technology behind it, that's a technical detail. Uh, mm -hmm. The technology is important. It is helping us moving fast and making progress, and it's greatly appreciated. It is, it is passionate to see all this amount of work, but also it's great to see it in application to real problems. Uh, so, and, and that's good. Um, if, if you go maybe to the next slide. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask as well, what, what do you oh. think is actually driving this? Is it, is it just people's laziness to want to do less with technology? Or is it, you know, is there a deeper, a deeper reason for us making more progress now than we have in the past? I think the opportunities. Uh, there is, uh, oh. you, you touch it to a very good point. Uh, 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 I, I, I can comment on that in, 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 in a bit. I think we all learn, we know the, uh, the Moore's law, right? So it's, it's actually what I'm trying to say, it's a combination of machines, the technology and the data. Okay. Uh, and, and, and that's what is, it is very important to say. And to follow up on that a little bit, there is this uh, Moore's law that, that people know uh, more a kind of, uh, he was the co-founder of, uh, uh, Fair Shield Semiconductor. He was also the CEO and co-founder of Intel. And, and in, in, in 1965, he was saying that the number 
of component per integrated circuits will, will double every year. And then he revisited that in 1975 and saying that uh, it will double every couple of years. And that's true. When we look to the CPUs, uh, the number of transistors is doubling time. Now it's getting too saturated, but it was doubling at least from 75 to, to, to for a long time, uh, every two years. Now, uh, if you look to the equivalent of that in, in the, GPT world, the uh, GPU world, and that's, we start talking, actually, recently I was reading an article and talks about the Huang's law uh, in, uh, in comparison to the Moore's law. And, in the, uh, and, and the, why Huang? Because uh, uh, Huang, actually, I think he's, he's the CEO of uh, NVIDIA. Uh, and and uh, so that's in comparison to Moore's, who was the CEO of Intel. And mm -hmm. actually, now they are uh, at least the, the the capacities and the capability of the GPU is is doubling. Uh, let's say every year, almost. Why this is important? And you mentioned the good point. So you know, a lot of people recently talks about GPTs. Mm -hmm. People talk about GPT three model. Uh, it does uh, it does a lot of uh, let's say memorization. Uh, of the language, so the we, it does it doesn't necessarily do some reasoning. We'll get to that later, but at least it memorizes well what is happening in the language and represents the well the language. And it's this large language model. Uh, mm -hmm. So the the good and bad thing about this model, these models are huge. We are talking about something around 175 billion parameters. So if you take one single GPU that is a V100. It takes 355 years for a model to be trained. If you have a plenty of machines and you have the money, you need to spend around 4.5, 4.6 million dollars to train a model. So it's not for everyone. No. Exactly. So, yeah. however, if you, if you follow the uh, Huang's law, and mm -hmm. the performance of the machines gets, I mean, improve it, get it twice every two years, so someone could see that in eight years time frame if that law keep going, that we will only need $15,000 to train a model on a single uh, GPU, right? All right. So now we are in a space, let's say eight or 10 years from today, we are in a space where it's accessible for most of companies, most, most people. Now look to that capability that is gonna open. So you said, why before, not now? If, if the technology, I mean, if the machines get us there, you know, instead of spending four million dollars today, you would be only spending fifteen thousand dollars in ten years. Mm. But you want to get different. there first, right? <laughs> uh, exactly, and that's why you need yeah. <laughs> investment now. So yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that gives gives an idea how things are moving and why is that? There is a plenty of data now relative to before. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the capacity of the machines or the speeds and they keep improving. And that's why I think we will make progress further and further. And also there is this algorithm that people are really are trying hard, researchers are trying hard, and they are, they are working together, collaboration, building on top of each other. I mean, mm -hmm. when you talk about BERT and GPT, it comes from, you know, you have the neural network model and then it becomes attention. The attention, let's take the next level, it becomes kind of BERT technology or GPT technology. So, so it is... Uh, it is somehow gradual, and, and we are building on, on, on the state-of-the-art techniques to keep improving. Uh, and, and that's a good match with the machines, with the data, with the technology moving. Uh, things, uh, we are making progress. Awesome. It's exciting for, for people who are looking to get into the space as well, in that really within the next kind of eight to ten years, as you're saying, we're going to see big innovation based right. on that, that power. Yep, um, yep. So, so you've got what? What is this you've got here then? It made the, the recent history. Oh, this is, this is this is go, going back to the history. I mean, the first question was about history, and here really yeah. to give an idea. In 2011, you are right. We have Apple Siri. 2014, we got Amazon Echo, and this is the the journey of assistant. Now we talk about mm -hmm. digital assistant, and we talked about that, and becomes kind of a trivial that people have that. But relatively speaking, there is a great movement in the recent years. I mean, starting from Apple Siri. Uh, actually, Google Assistant comes to market around 2016. Uh, Cortana was around late 2014. And, yeah. and things keep going. I mean, even in 2019, now we have Google's Nest Hub, which is really great technology and all of that. And people are keep, I mean, I just heard yesterday also, uh, Apple has this new version 
uh, of a pod that also they are going to commercialize and, and things like that. So mm. this gives you an idea that the technology is moving, more hardwares, that means there is interest from also the users that it was not necessarily the case before. So so things are moving forward, which is which is great. Absolutely. I think that um, that leads nicely onto the next question, because clearly, you know, when you're passionate about something, it's very easy to understand the history um, and then to be excited about the future, too. So I want to know how that's conveyed into your your career and then what it's like to actually drive and lead innovation at some of the world's you know, leading tech companies. Right. Uh, no, thank you for the question. I, I, I think there is... Uh, plenty of sub-question on, on, on these questions. I mean, mm. I am I, grateful to, to, to the opportunity uh, working for these uh, companies in, in my career. And, and I learned a lot and they keep learning. And that's good. Uh, there is, uh, so I think if I take this, this part, there is the part of how to lead a team in this technology. There is mm. the part working for uh, a big company versus not. Uh, mm -hmm. So w when we talk about leadership in IT, uh, I think a few things comes to mind, and I, it is it is important uh, that we should consider, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so the, from the leadership side, I do believe really it is important to have some capability. You mentioned the passion about your work; uh, yep. it is important. Uh, there is another aspect to it, which is also perseverance. Mm. Uh, especially when you work in a new area uh, and you work in an area that is evolving over time, uh, you need to have that perseverance. Perseverance uh, to be persistent uh, in the course of action, despite the difficulty, uh, find the, uh, don't get to discourage it quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I always believe that a great team leader uh, will examine the circumstances of the difficulty, find potential solution, and, and, and set about implementing method to allow the team to persevere through these obstacles. And this is important in, in any area in NLP, in NLU, but in any area where there is innovation. There is yeah. also another aspect for, for a leadership, and, and, and they have that, and, and that also close to my heart, which is have empathy with the team that you are working with your team it's the ability to understand and share feeling of all it's very important you you, you are there uh, you are there as a team you are there to empower them and, and i mm -hmm. will get to that there is other areas around how to create the clarity uh, generate energy and then of course we need to deliver success on that uh, mm -hmm. i mean uh, Eager and passion to learn. That's also important when you are working on this area. Uh, I am someone that wants to grow, wants to learn. Uh, I'm not uh, afraid of pushing myself, uh, even though it's sometimes uncomfortable for me. That I find that as an opportunity to learn more. And Absolutely. those helps. And, 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 and those helps a lot. Uh, you know, my, my leadership style with my team, usually I, I find myself informal, accessible, transparent. And I want to consider myself more as a partner than, than, than as a leader. And, and actually, my role is how to empower mm. the team and, and build the new leaders of tomorrow and how to support my team to be successful. That's how I want to see myself, and that's how it centers to me. I could tell you, uh, I, I worked for, for many, many years, and I still, when I see these people that I worked with uh, during these years in conference and all of that, even though we don't work together, but we are still connected, we are still a friend because that that's there is that spirit of trust. There is yeah. that spirit that I care about their career. I care about how to make them succeed. I care. I, I am the the leader, the mentor, the partner. Uh, all all of these are criteria that uh, are important. Actually, uh, when you are working on an area like this, there is ambiguity. Uh, so, so you need to thrive in the ambiguity. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to provide the feedback on time and also to receive feedback on time. Uh, you don't also, you need to challenge the statute. Uh, you need to put also, it's important you work for a company, so you need to put your user first and be driven by metrics. Uh, when I said metrics, and, and that's something always I try to discuss with my team, which is there is a difference about someone 
that is it usually coming after grad school and he's passionate maybe about the model, the accuracy of the model, where mm -hmm. we talk about metrics, usually about, we talk about user metrics, how this is gonna affect the user and, and how to train uh, the NLP engineers or the NLP scientists to have that in their mind. It's like, okay, I'm building a model. My model is very powerful, but it, it, is, it is good. It is not enough. It is more about how this your model is gonna impact your user. How this user metrics that we have that is targeting as a company is gonna be moved forward. Those are criteria that from, from partnership perspective or from leadership perspective, you need to set your team for success and look to that. So care about your team. I mean, there is really many areas here. I mean, when we talked about delivering success as an example, it's very important to drive innovation that people love. It is really very important to be boundaryless in seeking solution. It is really very important to be tenacious, uh, pursue the right outcomes. And, 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 and all of these will drive success. Also, a leader in general should generate gener energy and, and work with him. So how to inspire optimism, how to have a creativity and the growth, how to, put, to, to make people feel that they are contributing. I mean, uh, some other things that is really close to heart is around diversity, inclusion, and all of that. Maybe we'll get that later, uh, but it's something that also to create energy, everyone's voice should be heard, and that's important. Mm -hmm. Now you are creating an environment where everyone does their best work, and also you need to think of building an organization that is stronger tomorrow than today, and that's very important in this area because it's not all about short-term goals. It is really about balancing the long term and the short term so that the organization in general, especially that this, the, the field is moving quickly, you need your organization to be ready for the technology coming tomorrow. You need your organization to be stronger tomorrow and accordingly you need to figure out that balance. Yeah. So those are a few things. Uh, and then the clarity, of course, there is things around how to synthesize the complex, how to, mm -hmm. ensure, uh, how to ensure shared understanding between people, how to define the course of action. So all of these, I see them in a partner, in a leader, how to unblock your team and make it moving forward. So this applies to, to NLU teams and leadership in general. Now, one advantage about working on big corporation, it is around the resources, it is around the data. It is around also the, the trust that comes also with opportunity and, and also responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And all of these you could observe on, on, uh, on companies uh, for which I did work, but it is not necessarily about size. I think it is also about the mission and the belief. I saw plenty of uh, my friends working in a smaller size company and including startup, but if the belief and the mission is clear, if the business goal is clear uh, and the company is focused, uh, you could achieve uh, the success uh, as well. So it is, I don't, it is, it is not a specific to, to big corporations. Awesome. One thing I want to point out there, Ibed, is that I, I targeted that question towards you, you know, like how do you drive and lead innovation? And actually your response was about your people. Everything you said was targeted towards the people in your team. Everything was about them, their career growth, their development. Not once did you actually talk about yourself, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, you have a good point. I mean, I don't think, I don't believe that someone by himself could drive the innovation. I think uh, mm. there, is, there is the work that we do with people in the company. There is the work we do as a community. Uh, and I, I, I do believe in, in partnership and working together. I mean, outside of my work at Google, as an example, I am also the editor-chief in one of the ACM journals around okay. NLP uh, for uh, low resources and Asian languages. And, and why I'm mentioning this? Because it goes in the same idea. I mean, to really to make a progress, it's not about me. It is, it is about the people that I will work with at, at my company. It's also the people I work with at the community. When, when, when yeah. I'm running this journal, I'm talking about a much larger community and much less set of people sharing idea, trying to make a progress, trying to make sure that we are moving things toward the North Star. Uh, 
you, you do have a point. I don't believe on. I think individual success is 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 also being making others successful, uh, and and it is uh, it goes both way. If if I make my team successful, it, it is my success as well. If I make the community more successful and move the area forward, it is also my success. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and one other quick question on that is. To be successful leader, you know, when it comes to NLP or, or technology in general, do you have to be the most technical in the room? Or uh, no, not necessarily. I, I, I things are moving fast, and it is hard to say who is the most technical in the room. Mm. Uh, I do believe what is very important is to have open mind and learn and keep growing, and 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 about listening to other. I, I think going back to to part of the leadership. Instead of saying it's about being the most technical leader in the room, I will say it's about a good listener in the room. Mm. Uh, you, you need to include diverse ideas, uh, mm. out-of-the-box ideas, uh, assess them. Uh, actually, I will say that a good leader should focus on the what versus the how. What right. I mean by that, this is the problem, this is the what in a sense, this is the problem you want to solve, this is the goal. How to solve it? Let's make a collaborative effort. I would like to hear from you. I would like to hear from others. Everyone's idea is, is welcome. Again, uh, if, if you look to the technology we are, uh, we use it four or five years ago, uh, it, it's completely different from the technology we are using today to solve similar problem. And I am sure the technology we are using today, it's going to be different from what we'll be using in a few years. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to say, even if you are the more knowledgeable in the room, uh, things are moving fast. So it's better yeah. to, to learn uh, and to include others and, and, and to allow for diversity of opinion. Absolutely. So there was, um, there was a couple of questions that have come in. I just want to bring one up on the screen here quick sure. um, from, from right. YouTube. Um, we can measure the accuracy of NLP models using standard quantitative metrics, precision recall. Um, can Professor Imed talk about how we can measure the usability of NL models using metrics or goals? Thanks for the question, Amin. All right. Okay. Uh, very good question. I think touched on this a little bit. Precision recall or even F measure, uh, greatly appreciated. They are important uh, to, to, to measure, uh, and those are standard approaches. I don't think that those metrics are, are good enough uh, to measure the effect of these models on users. Uh, and and let's, let's take the example of assistance. Uh, let's take the example of I could understand the meaning of a sentence, like set, uh, set up an alarm tomorrow at, at, at 7 a.m. Uh, I can use a precision recall to measure those kind of queries. What's the impact of that on the user? That's a different story. I think now what people are doing is uh, what uh, we talk about user metrics, we talk about the utility, we talk about the engagement, we talk about uh, the number of active users. Why we said the number of active users? Because if, if, if people come back and use your product again and again and again, that's usually a good sign. So that yeah. means even if your precision is bad, you are doing something. Uh, is that related to the accuracy of the model or maybe related to something else? It's not necessarily the accuracy of the model, but you are doing something good. So we look at things like uh, repetition rate. When, when people are repeating the same query again and again, that's usually a dissatisfaction rate. So these are signals coming from the user. And accordingly, even if you have the best model ever, that because your model is a part of an ecosystem, there is the user, there is the UX that is built on top of it. There is the availability of the model. There is the model running on a server. There is a latency that is attached to it. There is the connection of the network. And there is many, many things related to the product that are not necessarily the model performance. That plays a big role in measuring the quality of your product. And that's usually different from measuring the quality of your model. So it depends if, if you are interested maybe to publish a paper, it makes a lot of sense to look maybe to precision recall and F measure and you said I have a better performance than the other guy. That's good. If you want to take that to the next level and impact users, that is good. I'm not saying we should throw that away. That is important. But there is other criteria that should be considered. And that's where I consider the utility effect. Uh, I consider the, uh, the satisfaction factor. 
I consider the daily active user, the monthly active users, all these plays big criteria as well. Awesome. Thanks for that, Ahmed. And thanks for the question. I mean, there's actually one here. I'm, I'm being conscious of time, but there is one here that just came in that I'm actually quite interested in. Um, Dr. Pat, how important is it for the NLP tech team to be plugged into the other teams, such as product team, customer facing team, professional services, engineering, you know, I guess that the list goes on there. So what, what do you Again, think of that one? Uh, I think pretty, pretty good question. Uh, I mean, you have an NLP tech team, uh, the team should not work on isolation. It is very important to understand user need. It's very important to understand the product. It's very, we talked about when, that's why when we talk about uh, user metrics, that also uh, has some link when we talk about customer facing teams, because the customer facing teams will give you an idea how to define even your user metrics. Uh, the, the product team will help you tell you how the product is about, what is very important for the product. So, you know, th th there is this, I'll give an example. Maybe the product team and the customer, they are only looking for one type of query, which is, uh, I'll go back to the example of alarm. The only thing that matters for your customer, the only thing that matters for the product team is that we could set alarm correctly every time and no errors. Whether your model could play music or your model could fetch the weather or your model could open the door, it's not the priority of your customer. It's not the program. Mm. Uh, it's not the priority of your uh, product team. So you could spend years building this model that is not only asking the how to set the alarm, but is also trying to drive the car automatically. If it's not of interest to your customers you cannot yeah. really succeed yeah. so it is very important to be connected to those teams continuous feedback uh understanding their need mm -hmm. trying to be driven by the same metrics that they are driven by uh, and that's why i go back and say that every company in, in in my experience and i really believe on that they should invest on tools and the platform that enable user metrics and how to measure user satisfaction or user utility in addition to the other tools that's very important to to assess the success of a product yeah i guess otherwise like why are you doing it there must be some element of excitement that comes from building a product that people actually use right right <laughs> that's correct that's correct yeah um now there was one other question as well that was kind of like off record that was uh, we, we talked about briefly um, before we met, but um, one of my clients actually asked um, and was curious about how you balance NLP research scientist needs with engineering needs. Oh. And um, is there often a trade off? Uh, so it depends on the resources you have and, and depends on the decision you are making. So, so usually, uh, it depends how also we define the researcher and we define uh, a software engineer. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I am trying to say here, in, so the way I see it and the way I experienced it in the past and what I see at least in big organization and big corporation, there is, there is uh, this type that you have the, the researcher that is looking forward to the next generation technology, trying to push the boundary to the next level. Mm -hmm. There is the applied researcher or the applied scientist where the goal is more around, based on the technology we have today, what I can do with it to make the product better. And there is also the software engineer that is trying to deal with things like latency, things like the server should be available 99.7777% uh, of the time. Uh, things like uh, the user interface, things like how, the, how, how to log the data coming from the customer, things like how to have tools that enables everyone, uh, things like how to help maybe the appliance science team optimize their model instead of running on 100 milliseconds, we want it to run on a 10 milliseconds. So, so it is not about balance. I think what is important for the team is to figure out what they want to do and to have a milestone. Mm. Okay. And, and, and based on that milestone, they decide where to invest at that time. So if, if I am a small company and I have a specific product in mind and I would like to uh, use the current technology to enable that project, 
should I hire someone that is looking to the technology that we want to enable five years from today? It is important to the, for the success of the company. It is not a higher priority on that time. Maybe during that time, it's better to hire an applied scientist that could leverage the technology available with mm -hmm. engineers to make that real, to make that product. And then once I grow and they build muscles and I would like to look to what is happening next, I will consider uh, a researcher or a scientist that is really looking to the next generation technology. It's okay, a balance. Sorry, I was going to say, so, so should a, a researcher be expected to write kind of clean production code? It is so I saw plenty of researchers writing very good quality code, and I think it is more about the expectation. And the, so it is, I will say it's about interest versus it's about uh, and it's interest and expectation versus capability. Okay. Right. Uh, so I think what is important is there is a clear conversation from the beginning on, on the responsibility and the, in the requirement and the need. And, and I'm not saying that everyone should write high, good quality code and the product quality code. Sometimes it's hard. I'm mostly saying that being aware of that and, and consider that in how to build a team is important. I saw in my experience and many in my teams, I do have those that really are engineers and they don't know, they don't know about NLP and they are very valuable. And those that are know how to put a prototype together uh, build a fantastic prototype, it's not necessarily good product quality code. But having both of them working together, mm. that is the good part that I appreciate about this job, is having diverse set of people from different perspectives, everyone giving his best based on interest and strength, contributing to the success of product. And that including also product manager, and that also includes a technical product manager. So it, when you talk about a team, it's very important to have diversity. So I don't know. I don't really think that we should have only a team of engineers or a team of scientists. I am a big believer of a, of a mixed team. Yeah, I like that. Um, look, Emmett, I'm, I'm conscious of time. How long, how long have you got on your end? Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine for another five, 10 minutes. Okay, awesome. So, because there are a few more questions, but I do want right. to kind of just press on to um, the, uh, the next or at least the the kind of topic we were aiming to to discuss, and that was what does the, what does the future look like for NLP? So you've you've got a slide here. Uh, we've talked about kind of virtual assistants um, and and where we are up to date, but but Correct. what's next? Where you, from your perspective? Uh, yes, at least. We, we, so we just touched a, a little bit on, on on a few of these things when we talk talked about the Moore law. We talked about uh yeah. the, uh, the, the, the this uh, what is coming which is we, we are calling the huang's law about the EPUs and all of that so i really see that we just scratch the surface on this area and there is many uh, to come and why i am saying this so it's not because we have a gpt3 today uh, really i believe gpt3 are great they are they are meant to memorize more than, but there is plenty of things missing around reasoning, around, mm -hmm. uh, you talked about emotion, you talked about uh, behavioral. Uh, so all these area, I see them coming. I know with, with more computation, with more data, uh, with technology moving forward, technology, I believe like this GPT-3 and, and, and similar technology, they will be available for everyone at one point in the future maybe in eight years, maybe in 10 years, it will happen. Now, when we reach that, so we are in a position where, what we, where we memorize well the language. And now, if you look to small kids, usually that's what happens, all right? You memorize, you memorize, and then you start to think how to reason about what you memorize. And we are missing that today. We are missing that even in a technology like the GPT-3. But I believe that the future will allow us to to open up in terms of reasoning. Now, if we open up in terms of reasoning, uh, there is many great things where I see this applied, you know, whether that mm -hmm. for healthcare, whether that for this multimodal capability where, you know, you have the language mixed with a gesture, mix it with the virtual reality, uh, a lot of opportunity on this space. You know, you can, you, you can travel without necessarily traveling. You can have the experience and connect with others uh, and everyone is his own place. 
uh, we can advance, you know, the self-driving cars. All of these, I, I am a big believer that we'll make advances on, on, on those directions and, and we'll get there. Plenty of other opportunities. Few things that we should pay attention to that as, as we are moving forward as well, which is the trust and the fairness in AI. Yeah. And, and those areas that really we need to pay attention, there is, there, there is bias in the data today, and accordingly, our model somehow gets biased uh, quickly. There is, there is a bias on the representation. There is a bias on historical data. There is a bias in measurement, the temporal, the content production, the sampling, the population bias, uh, the aggregation bias. Uh, uh, the funding bias as well, the, popula the popularity bias. There is a lot of bias that are affecting our models that we need to address. So we do have the challenges, but also I see with the challenges, a lot of opportunities are coming. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's a business that I'm supporting who's doing something pretty exciting. As a gamer, it's exciting for me at least, but they're creating immersive gaming, whereby they're, they're introducing NLP to allow you when you're using AR, VR, to actually have interaction with the characters on their games. Very good. Yep. That that for me personally is exciting. I'm I'm not sure it if my exciting. girlfriend's going to be super excited that <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spend even more time playing games. But all right. Um, so so that's why in this slide you have the avatar part of it, which is really yeah. uh, referring to what you just said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I honestly think we're probably going to run out of time if we keep asking on, answering all of the questions that are coming through. So I do just want to add if if there are any questions that you guys have. That you want to ask Imed, um, I'm sure Imed would be open to you pinging them across to him um, following this session. Alternatively, you know, I can I can send them over and we can get some answers for you if possible. But uh, thanks for everyone that, that is contributing in in that respect. Um, I kind of want to move on to the last section, which is um, about the best practices for companies who are looking to explore NLP as tools for business. Do you have any advice around that specifically? So when it comes to attracting talents and when it comes about talents and hiring in general, I think there is a few things comes to mind and, and I am kind of a people person and, and I believe in diversity. So maybe I would like to touch a little bit on diversity and then we'll, we'll touch uh, yeah, a little absolutely. bit on opportunity. So, uh, I mean, touching on diversity uh, and this is a proven, actually, I was reading a study by the Harvard Business Review and they are saying that uh, if leaders who gives diverse voices equal airtime are nearly twice as likely as others to unleash value-driven insight, and employees in speak-up culture are 3.5 times as likely to contribute to their full innovative potential. So, so diversity is, is very important when we are building a team. And when I talk about diversity, I, I, I do believe, I, I see myself, there is two types of diversity that, that, that always I, I see. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, so first of all, why we talk about diversity and then, and then you know, uh, we'll, we, we'll get to that. There, there, is, there is diversity that is acquired and mm -hmm. there is a diversity that is inherited. So when we talk about the inherited diversity, we talk about, you know, you are born like that with such a gender, with such ethnicity or sexual orientation, and, and we need this diversity. But also we need to work somehow on the acquired diversity. As an example, having someone that worked in another country and experienced a different culture, that's a diversity. That person has something to offer. If you work with someone who interacted with other people in other diversity and other minority, there is an awareness, additional awareness that is created. And that also what I call maybe the acquired diversity. Mm -hmm. The combination of both is very important because the combi combination of both creates an environment where there is this outside the box idea are heard. It, is, it creates innovation and we are in an area where we need innovation. So, so when everyone, if every employees and every contributor feels that, you know, uh, the leaders are hearing their voice, including their voice in, 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 in decision making, you know, uh, they will be in a position to, to shine, to, to, to grow, to persuade those in charge of budget, to deploy resources, to develop those ideas and, and get to the next level and, 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 and to grow and being a fully contributor 
uh, and, and you enable them fully in your team. And accordingly, it is really very important uh, to put uh, to double down and think about that when you are building your team. You know, usually you, you need to think when you are building a team, you need to think of how to enable innovation. It is very important. And when you are talking about innovation, usually what any, in when someone, at, at least from my personal experience, what I look at are things like making it safe to propose novel ideas for people, giving actionable feedback, and also implement feedback from the team. It is very, very important that the feedback would be both directions. Ensuring that everyone is heard, giving team members decision-making authority as well, it's important, mm. uh, and, and sharing credit for success. It is also important to share uh, the, the success with others. All these help, you know, because when you create a room for innovation, when you support your people in finding an opportunity to develop and grow based on the area of strength and of interest, uh, you recognize people for their in understanding impact. All of these are very important. You know, you have a grad uh, student or, or, or someone who is a fresh grad and he's looking for a job and, and he's thinking of, should I go to the academia? Should I go to the industry? I have all of this knowledge. And, and usually what I observe with if these people, they have passions, and most of the time they have passion, they are not only looking to income or, 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 yeah. what, or, or things like that. They are looking Definitely. to more than that. And as you are looking to more than that, you need to create the environment in your team to, to help those people grow. I mean, and again, we are in a technology that we are in a field that the technology today is going to be different than the technology we'll be using in the future. So also creating this growth mindset and the environment where people could use their strength to enable the product today and the same time learn to grow for tomorrow and make the organization better tomorrow than today, it is, it is key. So th that's kind of maybe my answer to this. I, I could say more. I know the time is limited, uh, but those are really areas where we should consider when we are putting an NLP talents together. It is, it is about passion, it's about dedication, it's also about people. Uh, and, and, you know, a leader is how to enable those to where you enable your people and through enabling your people, you are making great impact and, 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 and fantastic products to the users. So things are connected together. Yeah, absolutely. That, it just makes so much sense. And that's not exclusive to NLP teams either. That, exactly. That's just that's generally speaking across any business, yeah. empowering your employees to, to have the freedom or feel like they can make creative decisions or put creative ideas on the table. That's, that's creative diversity, essentially. Um, right. and like you said, that's that's where you see the most success. So um, the, the, the questions keep coming. But look, I, I really appreciate your time, Ahmed. And, and I want to just you know thank everyone that's tuned in for for contributing, for listening. Um, it's uh, it's a topic that I continuously talk about, but I appreciate you both got to do some work, right? <laughs> so, um, so thank you so much, Imed. I appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I really appreciate the opportunity and, and, and talking to you and talking to people. Absolutely. So, look, stay tuned. Um, every week, Thursday at 11 a.m. ET. We're going to have a different guest on the show. Um, a lot of this content is going to be available as of next week as well. So we're going to kind of cut it down into specific questions and stuff that's been asked. So it's, uh, you know, if you don't have as much time, it's a little bit more digestible. But once again, thanks, Imed. And uh, I look forward to, to seeing you all next week. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.